Love, if I could write you a song, maybe the world would sing along. Then at least the city would cry out your name with me. I had a dream where I woke up strong and lifted the weight you've carried on. All your secrets and your pretty lies are safe with me. Tell me what have we become lately? All our bridges are breaking. Are we dying or waking? Are we lovers or friends? Are we trusting a daydream? Are we something worth saving? What if the day we met was the beginning of the end? I wish I never fell in love, but I did. Cause all the time we had was never mind to spare. Now I'm stuck between the living and the dead. But I'd wait a lifetime. To see you again. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm back at my downtown studio location, The Union. I'm here with a guest who's currently on tour, a 28-day tour stop. Um, he's here in Seattle performing at Numos tonight. I recently met him when I opened for Macklemore. Yes, I opened for Macklemore as a DJ, though, for St. Dion. I met him backstage talking to Mary Lambert. Mary Lambert's dope as fuck. So dope. First time I ever met her, too. So talented. Amazing yeah. voice. A fucking amazing voice. And uh, basically, he is on Macklemore's new album, Ben. He has a song with him called Sorry. Yeah, Correct? Sorry. Yeah. It's my pleasure to introduce Livingston. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So is your real name Drake Livingston? That's my full name. And That's wild. Y- you can kind of look at the thought process of... Uh, Drake was a little occupied <laughs> at the time where I was kind of transitioning to wanting to be an artist. So mm-hmm. I, I tried uh, dancing around other names that just didn't make enough. Like I had this rap name in mm. middle school. I went like Jero, which mm-hmm. was actually genius. It was J-E-A-R-O. And the reason I went, I had no meaning, no significance. Yeah. But it didn't have any like SEO associated with it. You Fair couldn't enough. like, you couldn't Google it and find anything. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, well, Livingston's the name of a town in Scotland. So that's not cool enough. But when I when I kept thinking about it, I was like, "Well, Drake's off the table, so I guess I'm kind of stuck with Livingston." But it grew on me a lot. Hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of someone named Drake besides Drake Bell or is it wait, Aubrey Drake? I mean, yeah, yeah good Aubrey Drake. Brand yeah, name. yeah. I've never. Have you met any other Drakes? Just in, like in passing? I've met like one or two in my life. Interesting. But I heard that I was named after. I think my grandfather was in in Desert Storm or in Vietnam and he had like his best friend that died oh, was shit. named Drake. So he named my dad Drake. So my dad was like, we call him the original Drake. Oh, he, he, you know, he's born in like 72, but he's Drake. Who do you have a junior? Are you a junior? I'm a junior. Yeah. Is that in your title too? Yeah. Drake, John Livingston Jr. That's sick as fuck. I want a junior. I want a third. I want to, I want to, oh, I want to make a third. Oh shit. Yeah. That's fire as fuck. So you're, you're, you're raised in Denton, Texas. That's right. So, is that a place that people are going to be like at home? Be like, oh shit, yeah, fucking Denton. Or is like, is Denton like a small? Break it down. Is it like a small town? Is it a city? What is Denton it? Denton like? has a lot of character. Okay. Denton has a lot of heart. Uh, Denton has a lot of diversity. Like, there's everything from. I mean, it's a college town first mm. and foremost. You have UNT, which is like one of the foremost jazz schools of okay. the South. It's uh, like rivals Juilliard, like mm. kind of jazz program. So I grew up around that. So music was always around. Um, but it's also like a, a lot about family and a lot mm. about church life and a lot about like community in Denton. So you have this cool contrast of like, okay, yeah, this is a very suburb upbringing and a very kind of normal, you know, Southern Bible Belt upbringing 
contrasted with like these glimmers of like alternative music mm. and like you know all the ideas that come out of the colleges and like so i think growing up there like it's definitely not um it's definitely not the middle of nowhere Got at it. all like okay. there's a lot of people a lot of surprising amount of people i've met who are like oh yeah denton like i i have friends who grew up in denton went so mm. you know it's definitely not austin yet yeah, but yeah. i think it would it wants to be at some point and uh, i'm all for it just being in austin for a week when i was at south by i learned so much about it and i didn't realize how obviously i hear like texas is supposedly like its own country oh yeah <laughs> you know but i just never realized how vast it was like I'm happy that Ubering in Austin is cheap, but like yeah. you cannot really walk anywhere. Everywhere is like super far. So what Dude, about what about in crazy. Denton? Is it's that- a Denton is um Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like walkability for sure, like in the neighborhoods, but I think, you know, still if I want to get like downtown, it's not yeah. like I'm just like walking up to the town square. Yeah. I was like ten minutes away from here. Yeah. At, like a we're at in downtown. Sure. About probably last week. And I had just gone back from South by and I was like, you know what? I don't want to drive my car. I'm going to Cap Hill where Numos is. Yeah. I'm just going to Uber there. Like a five minute Uber was like 15 bucks. Dude, it's crazy. And I was like, fuck that. Versus like I was Ubering and paying for people's Uber in Austin. Because I was like, this for is five super bucks. cheap. It's a shakedown. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, what's the worst is like, um, I've noticed when you get off the plane at the same time as everyone else. Mm-hmm. If like, I'll sometimes try to load up the Uber, like walking, you know, down the uh, like like down the ramp and like yeah. and like to the ground transportation to try to get the lower pricing and I'll be like oh yeah I got got one for like twenty miles away for like forty fifty bucks this is great and then I'll buy it and it'll refresh oh. and it'll be like oh sorry this price is no longer valid refreshes and it's triple the price oh, it's like, <laughs> yeah I used to be point? an Uber god when I before I I started driving when I was eighteen so and I, I'd say I became like independent and bust everywhere by the time I was like. Maybe 14, right. 15. And like when I was 15, I started like Ubering a little bit. Sure. And then like the summer before I got my car, I spent like $1,000 on Uber in like, a, in like three months. And it happens. Like, I was like, I need to get a car. So like in Seattle, supposedly downtowns, like who told me? Someone on the production staff at um, South by was like, they live in San Francisco and there's yeah. like a, I didn't realize there's like a walkability website. Yeah. There's a walkability score. They'll yeah. have that on like on neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah. So downtown is super high, but there's other parts in Seattle. They're just not like that, but yeah. Uber inside. Uber inside. <laughs> so you, you grew up in, you grew up in Denton from, so is it, was it pretty musical? Then? You know, it, it you was musical. Most of that. the music that I was exposed to Denton was either in Denton was either, um, the jazz so there was jazz mm-hmm. around from unt we had like this wildflower uh music festival like this denton arts and jazz festival so like music was around and then my mom um had an americana band called Ooh. wise ruby which she named after her grandmother and she would play at dive bars around denton with all of them so we would grow up like we'd be like seven eight nine probably more like nine ten eleven mm-hmm. Um, and she'd bring us along so she didn't have to get a babysitter, like a babysitter. Yeah. So we'd uh, we just tag along with her, yeah. load in her gear. So that was my first experience with load-ins, I guess. So you had like a musical family then? Yeah, my mom was super musical. My my dad can't hold a tune, but he loves <laughs> music, you know? So it's like he always supported um, her doing her music. And as she kind of made the decision, you know, because she I, th- I really think she is a, she's a brilliant songwriter. Mm-hmm. And she's so... She's so much of why I'm I'm doing this and mm-hmm. so much of like the heart behind music and how she used music to work through things in her life that were difficult inspired me to do that. Mm. So 
seeing her was like a huge source, but she took this path of like, you know, I think she could have done it professionally. Mm. But she chose, she's like, Hey, I, I want to be a mom. I want to take care of these kids and like spend my time doing that. So even though she had a song like synced in vampire diaries and like she had, mm. she kind of started to have stuff pop in. She kind of shrunk back from it and just focused on raising us. But you know, it was kind of this, um, this, <laughs> this interesting, like, you know, what is it like Clark Kent finding the spaceship in the, yeah, yeah. in the, uh, barn moment of, when I was about 13, um, just discovering all this musical equipment that was around the house, like mm. all these like dust, literally dusting off old mics and old keyboards and like a Yamaha Mox 8 and some be like beta 57 A's and like, and, and taking them out of the music closet being like, Hey mom, can I use this? And she's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Wow. Show with it. And so by 13, you know, I had hodgepodge this, studio out of like frankenstein musical pieces that my mom was using none of them work you know we're not talking like npcs and neumann but it's like you know they worked and they functioned and they you know learn an io like you this plugs into this and this is a plugin and this makes it sound this way and yeah um that that's my that's my comic book music discovery story Damn, that's yeah. amazing so i'm getting did your mom give you like any musical advice or how like how how has she influenced you besides like taking you to like the dive bars and all that and having this equipment? Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> a big thing that I took from her and from mm -hmm. her music uh, was just the focus on lyricism. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, everything she said in her songs could be correlated and traced to something in her life. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too, cause I, I enjoy a lot of music that's really different than that too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I grew up on Drake, Yes. you know, I grew up on, I grew up on, like soundcloud rap too mm. you know that's it so just music that exists to uh to like have a good time and like live in the moment and kind of you know playing way more on the side of like melody and experience um sometimes over you know the nitty-gritty of the storytelling and like this is what i've been through so um contrasted to that i think when i was younger i was maybe i maybe didn't appreciate it as much mm. i was like oh like singer songwritery stuff is not as much my you know my forte um, and I was more into and like, like 808s and like yeah. that kind of stuff. And the more that I grew up and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a vessel. Yes. Like this is where we find parts about ourselves that, yes. that I feel like are divinely inspired that we couldn't find any other way. It's like, mm -hmm. it's literally like every song is like opening up the closet and like you're dusting off things you find inside and, and you're presenting them and you're immortalizing them. Yeah. And that's what that's what sold it. So I think it was less of what she actually said and more of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing Halo reach in the living room while she's on the piano and I'm soaking it in. And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm listening and I'm like, you know, why, why have I been thinking about that melody for a week? I wasn't even paying attention. But now when I think of that melody, I see that I'm on forge world in Halo reach and I, and I like, I see where I was and now those things are correlated permanently, yes. you know, and, and like associative memory was oh. made off music and, and I think just building blocks, right. Yes. Just step by step by step by step. And it was more of like, what, what was inferred and what was kind of what I was around in the presence mm -hmm. of that bled into, I guess, the eventual love of music. Fuck. That's beautiful, man. On the associative memory thing. <clears throat> that's so true to the point like sometimes there's certain songs that I love yeah that I don't even want to show to certain people of course in case like there's like something ever happens between me and them you don't want to mess it up <laughs> yeah you, yeah, you don't want to mess up your favorite song like yeah or I have the opposite happen where 
you know, there'll be a song that I love that I'll talk about. Like, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to put on this song. And, the, and I have a friend like, oh, don't, no, no don't play that. I'll be like, why? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, not, you know, oh. not, you know, bad dark time, dark time in my life. Yeah. You know, so it can be, it could be a blessing and a curse. But either way, I feel like uh, you take a part of the song with you and it takes a part of you with it. So, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I was like playing, I was playing spades with my um, stepdad. Nice. Probably. Probably over Christmas. Yeah. I love space though. Um, and I was just playing music for us, and I started playing like old Motown music. Yeah. And he's like, turn this shit off. And I was like, wait, what? This is so good. And he's yeah. like, I had a girlfriend who used to love this music. And I'm like, get oh. that out of here. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. It's fucking funny. So you you had this like musical background, yeah. started playing Halo Reach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Halo, were you good at were you good at Halo Reach? No, I was never good at any video game, but I played the life out of all of them. <laughs> no, like, but I was more. Like I was a dude. I was a nerd. Like I was. Yeah. I'm. I mean. I'm. I'm literally, you know. All. I mean. I. I was the last kid that would be doing mm. this. It was back of the class, you know. Thirteen years old, um, autistic. Mm. You know, like I was diagnosed with Asperger's when I was eleven. You know, really overweight in high school. No. No one was like, oh yeah, that's the kid that's gonna go do it. That's the, that kid's gonna be Damn. a star for sure. No one. Uh, and and I don't think I don't. I wasn't. I didn't think that, you know, it, mean, it means you haven't peaked yet, which is good. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, for sure. There's, if there's one thing I know, definitely it's that I didn't, that wasn't the peak for sure. Yeah, so yeah. that, that felt nice, but, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a rough time. It mm. wasn't, but I had a lot of free time that came from that rough time. Mm. So, and then you got signed by the time you were 17. How did that come to be? It seems like, there was there, some so, things so that there's happened. something that happened so the the quickest way i can abridge it and i've had to man if, if i could tell you how many times i've i've sat in offices of people from here to london to la telling this story just cuz you know it's a it's interestingly enough the one it's this one story that's bridged the gap between me and people I never thought mm. I would meet because I think everyone can find a piece of themselves in this story. And I was lucky enough to find myself in it, um, in the first place. Mm. And it basically goes, you know, 11, 12 years old, find my dad's camera, start shooting videos outside, start shooting nature videos, learn about color grading, learn about sequencing and storytelling visually, falling in love with movies, falling in love with film and scripts. Mm. Okay, transition. I'm shooting videos for people around town, for my trombone teacher, for yeah. family friends, for you know anyone that would let me put a camera on them. I felt honored. Shooting wedding videos for free. Okay, flash forward a few months. You know, I'm 12, 13 I'm making a couple hundred bucks on a wedding video, you know, starting and making it, buying my first little gimbal, buying my new lens, buying my new Sony camera, you know, felt like I had purpose for the first time. Right. So you have this like alter ego. Like that was my first of the alter egos. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause it's back of the class going through it, anxiety ridden, made fun of all the time. And then, yo, you, you turn the page after that. And it's like end of every day. It's like, I'm sitting at a desk and I'm doing something I love. And I'm, I'm spending my time on this thing that, just lights a fire inside of my stomach and makes me feel yeah. uh, pr purpose for the first time. And, and right. So, so do that for a year and make, you know, a couple thousand dollars, which for 12, 13 year old is you Hell might yeah. as well be a millionaire Yeah, realizing like, Hey, I've, you know, 
the budgets aren't getting any bigger, but the dreams are. Yeah. So there's a disconnect, right? Yeah. So I couldn't find anything more about Texas that was any more interesting than mm -hmm. what I was already filming. Um, but I started finding these YouTube videos of of J. Cole and his tour bus and then yeah. like John Belly and then an Airbnb in LA. And I was like looking at their logic sessions as they were making songs from scratch in like 15 minutes. And I was like, hey, that's the, that's the same as Final Cut. Yeah. That's the, there's a, there's a story, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's effects, there's sequencing, there's conflict, there's resolution. Like all, like there was a moment yeah. when I was like 13 where it clicked that everything great that's ever um, been made um, in, in any art form is just a great story. And it yes. says something and it means something. And when that light bulb clicked, it was like I shut, it's like I, it's like I quit Final Cut and I never went back, mm. quit Premiere and I never went back. And I just, I opened up Logic on my mom's like 2011 MacBook. And I was like, we were on a Colorado family trip and it was over. Mm. It was over. I found, I mean, BPMs and, and finding, you know, different samples that like sounded like, oh my gosh, that sounds like Sail. Like, uh, this sounds like Imagine Dragons. Yeah. This sounds like that John Bellion snare or whatever. And literally dedicating my life 13 14 15 16 years old to writing songs mm. and, and and i don't mean like oh i do this on the side i mean every experience that i have is being funneled through this vessel every breath i take is one breath closer to being alone in my room with logic and a notepad and and an mxl 990 which you know, using the money I made from videography turned into an Aventone CV12, turned into a Neumann TLM103, turned into I'm building my acoustic panels and putting them around the room and, you know, begging my parents to let me stay up past 1 a.m. to produce. Yeah. And after three years of that um, and just honing that in and, and finding the right way to tell my story, I'm sitting with an EP um, at 16 years old that I, I at the time called the divide, which was uh, rough. Cause I think Ed Sheeran already had a project <laughs> named that stuff, so, but it was called the divide. Yes. It was like the, the, the separation between, um, you know, younger you and current you, which is ironic. Cause I was an infant when I wrote that whole, I was like, I'm the, I'm, I was like, I'm this old geezer of perspective now. And, and, and I used to be young and, and bashful and, and unknowledgeable. And I'm like, I'm still that, um, but I, the story of this converting to a, a real thing yeah. begins with I'm 16 years old and I've written 250 songs and Jeez. I've showed no one but my mom and my girlfriend, who I'm still with today, wow. by the way. Wait, six, when did you guys start dating? 14. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I'm holding these nine songs. And I'm like, I remember playing this song for my mom one day and it was called Fairy Tale. And, you know, literally kids in my high school were like, you know, God love everyone at Cormdeo Academy. I love all of you. Y'all are my y'all are my dogs for real. But you know, I was I put out these rap songs in like eighth grade. That was before it really kind of got. I re hadn't really found the vision yet, mm -hmm. and I was getting like people would be like writing lyrics to it on the whiteboard and like and like mention it mentioning those songs when I would like walk in the room. And so I just didn't tell anyone that I still made so they were music. Being assholes. Yeah. But like, and I'm talking, I mean that, that was song dropped like summer of eighth grade, but I'm yeah. talking about all the ninth grade. I'm the, I'm that kid, you know, yeah. all the 10th grade. I'm that kid. So I'm just not telling anyone I'm making music. Yeah. So I end up in 11th grade and 200 songs later, there's something that, you know, 
makes me feel something. And I remember showing mm-hmm. my mom the song Fairy Tale, and I was like, this song is going to change my life. Yeah. This song is going to change my life. This song makes me feel something that very few songs ever have. And yes, it's this immature ballad literally about Pixar characters. And I don't know how anyone's ever, no one's ever written a song like this. I can't imagine it working, but I just feel like this is something real. And within a few months of that, I had packaged up the CP and I sent, literally sent an email to someone I didn't even know was an A&R, um, who, uh, his name is Danny Rakow. And he grew up with an artist named Jeremy Zucker. Uh, who was signed to Republic and Jeremy Zucker I looked up to a lot and I looked up to what him and Danny had done and I kind of hit Danny and I was like hey if you were 15 again if you're like five years earlier what would you do if you know you didn't have resources you didn't have a label like I I, I like what you guys did Um, what's up like just just you know teach me something like do you have any information or any knowledge for me and I sent him this demo tape that I'd made which was the divide at the time and the next week, I'm in Times Square with my entire family meeting with Greg Nadell, the head of Electra, Mike Easterlin, the head of Fueled by, um, getting offered a record deal. Jeez. And so, and like missing school, missing like midterms. Mm-hmm. And that was the snowball effect mm-hmm. of, you know, okay, yes, this is something I do in the, the back of the class. You know, I'm staying in with my laptop during lunch to okay, let me make 200 songs. And now it's like, okay, these are 10 songs, but I don't have any social media. I don't have any way to share this. And overnight my life changed. Um, and wow. I don't know how, and I don't know why, uh, wow. but it did. And I'm, I'm really glad it did. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. It wasn't so abridged. I apologize. I tried to short. No, that was, <laughs> no, that was, that's, it's, it's hard work meets preparation though. As, as cliche as that sounds though, you know? Sure. Wow. That's amazing, man. Thanks, man. Holy shit. That's inspiring. You know, we're all, I feel like realistically most artists are all weirdos anyways. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. So like no one's normal. What's normal? Yeah, what is fucking normal? So like to understand that at a young age and just focus on what you wanted to do. That's that's wild. I, I I'm just lucky that I decided what I wanted to do like last second. I had like four months to decide. By the time I was graduating high school, yeah, I'd moved out of my house already, yeah, and I was like, I was stressed every single day, and I had, and I just found podcasting is something I wanted to do. That's you know? amazing. Which is weird, though. Like for anything, like just like some people might be feel like making music might be weird, but like just talking to like in a microphone for a podcast is weird to people as well. But like that's but something that's my calling, it. and that's your that was your calling too. So that's but you find like that's the thing. Like when that thing strikes, no one can no one can tell you no one can that no one can tell you anything that actually gets under your skin at that point because no one no one gets how it makes you feel no one gets that fire in your gut that that lets you stay up till five and then wake up six hours later to go to whatever that you know high school or your first high school job or whatever and not even worry about it not even you know and it's like I'm perpetually fighting back to that state. You know mm. what I mean? Of Because there's an uninhibitedness that comes with mm. before it's industrialized and before it's bought and before it's monetized. There's a purity to mm-hmm. it that I, I believe is achievable again. And the only way that I got there after, and this is a whole other tangent that I'm happy to dive into later, but the only way that I got back to that equilibrium of the full 
passion. Like I'm wake, I'm breathing music and I'm breathing, uh, what makes me feel alive was detaching from everything that made it commercially viable, Mm. you know, was literally, I mean, abridged story part two Mm. signing to the record label. I signed the deal when I was 17. We put out the first song in February of 2020, you know, COVID strikes. So everyone's out of the buildings, everything's chaos, realizing like, hey, this isn't going to look like hopping on a tour anytime soon or, or, or anything. So, and I've, I just built this studio above my parents' garage with the money from the record deal. And, uh, and I had this EP that was the baby that had changed my life. You know, it's like, it was a reverse art because instead of, oh, I'm going to grow this on TikTok and I'm going to grow this and, and make it a thing and then present it to get monetary support and then sign a deal. It was, oh my gosh, here's like industry side approval and handshakes and like cosigns and all this stuff. And here's a record deal and here's money, but nothing, not a, no social media, no songs out, no personality, no nothing to my name. Wow. So it was this, oh God. Gosh, well, I, I sure hope it. I sure hope people like it. I hope it yeah. doesn't suck, you know. And, um, so I built. I started realizing, like, yeah, this was really early twenty twenty. You can reach TikTok to, you can use TikTok to reach people. You can use TikTok to find people who have lived some variant of your same story, who want to hear the things that you have to say. And this is about the content that you're giving them that doesn't compromise. So it's content without compromise because content's an inevitability right now. Like there's no way around it. Yeah. And a lot of artists are trying to ignore it and trying to be against the grain, but really it, it, that that's, uh, it's futile. You can't, it's how do you create things that capture your art and don't inhibit your art? So for a year I did that. And I remember, you know, nothing crazy happened. I didn't, I don't have a hit record. I didn't, I didn't get a billion stream song, but I found a couple million kids on TikTok who mm. really resonated with the music and who in turn went and streamed all of my music really wow. equally, right? Like, you know, not like one song, 20 million and the rest, like, you know, 500,000 streams. It was like every song on all these EPs were getting millions and millions of streams. And, you know, the record label started making their money back. And my life started, you know, it, it started feeling like, not as if I had this imposter syndrome, but I did in yeah. a sense, you know, it's like this thing happens first, now live up to it. And it was a moment of like, oh, I'm living up to this, this thing and this belief and ultimately like instilling a sense of like, this isn't about anyone co-signing or giving their approval. This is about people having their lives impacted in a positive way by the same thing that I'm grateful enough that that impacted my life in a positive way, which is the power of music. But at a certain point, about a year into that, I'm like, I can't write a song for the life of me. Mm. I've been writing the coattails of this deal I signed in high school and of the music that I wrote, you know, when I was 14, 15, when my heart was on fire for it, mm-hmm. when all I could do was think about that. And now I wake up and I have to think about how do I find people to listen to this? Mm. How do I make sure that this reaches who it's meant to reach so that I can move on and move forward? And that became the idol. And something I had to do in about uh, May of 2021 is I just shut down the whole thing. I, it, you know, things were going well. I was, I mean, I was doing these covers on TikTok and YouTube that were getting five, 10, 15 million views at the time. And it was Jeez. like, you know, like hundreds of millions of views going towards the sounds of these covers and anyone else anywhere would have probably said, Hey, like definitely don't stop whatever you're doing there. But inside I'm like, I can't write a song because I'm spending my energy ultimately like for a good reason. Like let's take the music from high school and give it to people, but I'm not actually living. I'm not living enough to write new songs. So I pulled the plug on all of it 
I just, I said, hey, if it worked like this and this is the proof of concept, then when I come back with greater songs and a greater story and more life, then it'll work mm. more. So from May 2021, I started writing what is going to be my debut album. Um, and I came up with the title for it when I was 16. And I, I just I just dove headfirst into music. Did two month and a half long writing trips in LA. Did a month and a half long writing trip in London. And then moved to LA February of last year. Um, and I have done literally nothing but write another 150, 200 songs. Wow. And I fell in love with music the same way as I did the first time. Hell yeah. And a couple months out, when that thing of the, oh, please, the algorithm goes away, when that feeling of the, uh, I, I don't want to be irrelevant goes away, when you're like, oh my gosh, I forget that anyone out there even knows I exist and here's my music, that's when the, the animal comes out mm -hmm. inside and it just does what it does and it makes the songs that it wants to make and it leaves you with them and you're holding them. And it was the best choice I've ever made. Mm. And I'm sharing the first of those songs Wow! Um, in five days. As you were just saying, it's important to share content. Yeah. Some people that do step away for that long, they're not able to become relevant again. Exactly. I think it's a really scary thing, but I think ultimately it's, I don't believe in moments. Okay. Um, I believe in the source of the moment. I believe that something is worth paying attention to and if it's impactful to people that there's a good chance it can do it again and i think when you have you know the the, the difficult thing with today is you're we're conditioned around virality mm -hmm. around you know you're catching lightning in a bottle or you're you're catching this moment and you're you know the stars have to align just right for you and so you have to be waiting for every ample opportunity to kind of take that by the horns or else you're going to miss the boat and it's going to move on without you. I don't buy it. Mm. I think if you have something real um, and something that you truly believe in, I think that there is something, if you keep that spirit yeah. and you don't let other things infect it, there is something about that that will never die, that is infinitely replicatable, yeah. that is inimitable, and that is built into you. But it's a really scary thing to even think about that in a culture of virality, mm. in a culture where everything everything that matters is everything that is happening right now. And if it's not happening right now, it doesn't matter. Mm. Reverse the roles. There's a lot of things that matter a lot that have yet to happen or that are have been yet to be brought to the public light. Uh, you know, a couple examples I can think of are like you look at Bo Burnham's Inside. You look at everything everywhere all at once. These are not things that are... Um, cultivated in front of the public's eye these are the things that are people are living on a prayer and doing something very outside of the realm of what you know most people are thinking about wanting or needing and it's a massive risk mm. artistically of like i'm stepping out of viral culture and i'm stepping out of what's expected so with that do you feel like you have like a healthy relationship with social media I, I don't think I do, and I and I, and I think I never will, and oh, I think no. that's why I have to look at it as a necessary evil mm. to reach people that, you know, I have this song that comes out in four days, mm -hmm. and a, a year ago, I was sitting in my apartment in North Hollywood writing this thing, and I remember writing the chord progression on the piano and on a Warlitzer 200A in my, in my living room, and then I remember writing the lyrics, you know, 
in between literally Winston House, which is a club and a church called Oasis mm. in West Hollywood. And I remember every single moment of writing that song. And that was one of the artistic experiences that like fueled me and that made me love music of like I am living I am infusing life into a song and it means something and it was about the most difficult time I ever had in my relationship and the closest I ever came to you know a breaking point of something that I I believe so much in and I infused that in a song and it was trapped in it well it was mine and it belonged to me but in five days it's going to belong to everybody else right Mm. and I looked at my job in the last month of like that song coming out is I can't control how people take this. I can't control what people think of it or if they like it, but I can show you, Hey, here's this thing I made. And this is the emotion it gives me. I'm not going to talk your ear off for an hour on TikTok about, you know, like why you should listen to whatever. I'm going to spaz out while I'm singing the chorus yeah. and I'm going to post it a hundred times and 2 million people are going to see it. And if you like it, you like it. And if you hate it, you hate it. But then once that's done and the curtain's called, I've done my job, I've presented my thing, and at some point, you know, I believe in that. But that's the relationship I have. It's necessary evil. I'm coming out of my cave to share a thing that I like <laughs> that I think you'll like too. Yeah. And if you don't, I'm Fuck I'm, you. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you don't, I'm sorry. Um, I wish you did. Uh, but ultimately this is about me and 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 my story and my journey and my art and hoping that that can touch the life of someone else. Hundred percent. Have you found people that share the same energy and even some names off the top of my head that I see you've been working with, Whit Lowry, you're on tour yeah. with him. Um, you just uh, were on Macmore's album. Yeah. Do you see that fire in them as well? Or Those are my brothers. Mm. I mean, both of those guys are, are heroes of mine. Since I was a kid, since I was a little kid, I've listened to both of those guys. So I was 13 years old. I listened to Whit. Since I was 11, I've listened to Ben. Mm. And... There's some commonalities between both of them, which I'll go down. One of those commonalities is they both relentlessly um, lean into the music and the purpose of the music, and they don't stray from that, and they don't compromise on that. I guess the one thing that I did share with them was, you know, complete, like, possessiveness and insularity of the art and of the music. Mm. The one thing that I did not share was the independence. Mm. And I think there was a point that I reached where, you know, and, and artists ask this all the time, and artists go through this whole thing. I think a record label can be an incredible thing. Right. I think a record label can help you elevate your career to the next level. I think that they can get you on radio. I think that they can um, connect you with incredible creatives that can change the course of you creatively. Electro Records changed my life. They, um, more so than what they did for me on an industry level, they connected me with creatives that have, I mean, incredible creatives. Oak Felder, Ryan Lewis, Rami Yacoub, Mozella, like people that have, changed my life damn did ryan introduce you to macklemore that's right that's so crazy so many people have said ryan's the one who like introduces them to Mac. yeah no ryan's a dear friend but like there's there's all these people that i would not have met if not for my time at at electra and i think the point i'm at now is it's not that i oh i want to own this thing before it gets big it's i want the chance to shrink away and make this about the music and find the way to communicate this to people that is meaningful and true and to the source of what the music is. And then should there be a day again where, oh my gosh, I have this hot potato song, you know, God willing, that's, I don't know what to do with this. And I like, you know, maybe then I toss that ball and we get someone in on a true partnership that we can like radio elevate that. But I don't know if that, I don't even know where that is. I don't know that is in a year or in five years. I don't know if that, but what I know is right now, this is about, um, 
owning it and believing in the music that I just spent two and a half years making and putting uh, my name and putting everything that I have into every song. Mm -hmm. And that's all I have. It's the scariest time in my life. I just gave up a major label record deal. Mm. I gave up having to basically, you know, not worry about, you know, uh, what I'm eating and where I'm living and, and all of that in favor of I'm betting everything on an album that no one's heard mm -hmm. and on songs that no one's listened to um, and a dream that still feels very much like even though things have changed since high school and there are more people here and sure there's a proof of concept mm -hmm. it still feels like me and my people like trying to prove it 100%. And, and I like it that way so when I was talking with you and Mary you guys were talking about like distro deals yeah. and break down what a distro deal does and do you need to have experience being part of a record label to for you to realize the importance or the help that a, a distro deal can do? Or should up-and-coming artists just look solely yeah. for a distro deal? Or I mean, I, I think my advice for any up-and-coming artist, and this includes distro deals, it includes record deals, mm -hmm. it's take stock of where you are and what you can do by yourself. Got it. Uh, and, and because right now you have platforms like, you know, TuneCore, I'll name all of them so that there's no endorsement. <laughs> TuneCore, Distro, Stem, AWOL, a DistroKid, Stem, AWOL. Like you have all these people who you can put your song out effectively for free or for a small distribution fee and they'll just put your music online. And there's different levels of what the expectation is. Like, you know, some like TuneCore and DistroKid are like, they're literally putting your song on the platform and everything else, every stream, every, you know, every playlist, every anything, yeah, that's your problem. You got to worry mm -hmm. about that. Build your platform, have fans, and then it's the best thing in the world. And if not, well, you're kind of out of luck mm -hmm. with some other platforms to my knowledge like stem and AWOL, is like there's um there's a level of support that goes into it as well because they're more there's more vested interest in it yeah um and then, then i guess an extension of that even further would be a distribution deal where it's like you're giving away a small portion of your masters um in exchange for some degree of resources and distribution so they get the song out there and maybe they're pitching you know but i think honestly and this comes from being on both sides of the camp uh all that matters to anybody, all that all that matters to your team and the people who maybe one day will be a part of your team and to labels and what really matters is, is fans and human beings because none of this exists without the people that listen to music and we forget that sometimes, mm -hmm. is are you creating something um, that is undeniable? Are yeah. you really creating something that is worth paying attention to that has every bit of you imbued inside of it and that people will be unable to escape from they will either be forced to love it or or hate it or be down the middle about it but they can't not have an opinion about it yeah and people need to be less concerned about how do i position before they're concerned about how do i make the thing that is going to turn the heads and then course correct from there mm. Damn, you got me charged up, man. You're inspiring as fuck. Let's go. So when's the next rap song dropping? <laughs> when's the, the next rap song dropping? I don't know, man. I, I've I've uh I've already I mean it's funny, like it sounds crazy saying I have my debut album done because I have no I mean, dude, it literally sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. Yeah. I have no hit songs. Mm. I'm not on the radio. I'm not on a huge national headlining tour. So it's like, yeah, you know, usually you're not even talking about a debut album until you have a record working out radio and you're scrambling to get an album. Mm. I just didn't want to have to deal. Uh, it's weird. It's, I wanted to shelter myself from, mm. from that to be able to make the album as a whole with no input kind of almost like 
if I would have known that all this was going to happen off that music in high school, how much harder would I have worked in high school? Yeah. You know, how much harder would I have gone? It's like, this is my last moment of little sanctity and clarity. And mm. like, you know, there's no, I mean, there's expectations sure, but there's no real, it's like, no one knows who I am. Right. I'm not, you know, no one's waiting for the next Livingston album. The, there isn't, you know, I don't have the industry knocking at, banging on my door, showing up at my shows. This is a, there's relative solitude and sanctity to kind of make this album and now that i've done that i'm like already experimenting with new stuff and like playing with new stuff but dude i have gosh i have this song on i have this song dropping on the 31st called lifetime and it's just my it's just it just makes me feel something and oh, it yeah. does something inside of my heart and ultimately i think it's like when music has done that for me that feeling's never failed mm. it's never messed me up it's never led me down the wrong path and the fact that I even get to say that I, I have the chance to do this and believe in a song and bet on it, I, I mean, I wouldn't have believed that five years ago. Mm. You know, it's crazy. And how do you relax? Man, my being with my family, being mm. with my girlfriend, um, being with my friends. I, I, you know, I moved to L.A. last February and I was scared about it. I just brought me and my best friend, Max, who's my photographer, and ended up finding the best community. Mm. And like the best um friendships out there and like grew in so many i mean my relationship with god is like the most important thing in my entire life and he's transformed my life and like my anxiety and i used to be this like anxiety ridden kid like riddled with fear and by means that would be considered miraculous to some people including me i am no longer bound by the stuff that i used to be bound by and i find this freedom in knowing that like my worth and my power and my ability is not reliant on my circumstances or my monetary material success, but rooted in the fact that like I am loved by God and I'm loved by those around me. Um, and that this could all fall away tomorrow and mm -hmm. I'm lucky to have had any of it, but while I do have it, let's go 110% and change the world. Fuck. Yeah. Damn, man, you've really inspired me and I'm, I'm happy to be like one of your first podcasts, man. And this no, is like not one of the first, the first Sheesh. this is the first i will i will i mean i think i might have done like one online one with this kid a few years ago who i i i, I forget his name for the life of me but we're i sorry I you're sorry i'm so sorry this is my first in-person um podcast and fuck yeah man. you've been the best you've been an amazing guest i i really feel inspired and like i'm connecting with a lot of things you're saying let's go and oh my gosh I'm happy we made this work. Me too, For people man. who don't know, we were, we were on a crazy like touring. Touring schedules are insane. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's wild. It's just go 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 the entire time. So the my fact phone's that been literally exploding under my hand. People probably want me at the, the. The good news is, end of the day, it's not. You know, there's been something nice about it being an. You know, I'm I'm just the opener. So yeah. I literally, I have a playback rig. I go press play and I sing to it, and it's like karaoke. Hell yeah. Well, what is uh, what are some final words that you have for the audience? Final words that I have for the audience is, uh, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for uh, giving your time of day to listen. Um, uh, I hope that whatever you're doing with your time and with your life is bringing you life and bringing you inspiration. Um, and if you could take any sort of that feeling out of this, uh, that makes me more than happy. Hell yeah. And what is the easiest way for people to find your music and reach you? All streaming platforms just go by Livingston, L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N. Same on Instagram, same on TikTok. Don't do Twitter. Don't do Facebook. Sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's it. Hell yeah. This has been the NAS Podcast with Livingston. 
and we did it.